0: Grace and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's an exciting day for some of us. Today is September, what is it, 9th? And today marks the start of Football. football, The NFL season. It's an exciting time for some of us. Uh, Earlier in the week, I was reading an article. Leading up to it, I was reading about the New York Jets. And if you're a football fan, what do you know about the Jets? They're a team that, at best, can be described as mediocre over the course of what, the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, they've had a, a few good seasons, but the majority of their time has been mediocre at best. And uh, the article is all about this new quarterback that they have uh, named Sam Darnold. He's 21 years old. They just drafted him, and he's a rookie starting today. He's the youngest quarterback. In, starting in the NFL, 21 years old. And this article, this guy actually said, uh, Sam Darnold represents the next big hope for the New York Jets. And for some, the last hope. <laughs> no pressure, Sam. Uh, just a, a whole city riding on you. Uh, But that's where the New York Jets are. They've been in such a deep, dark time in their history that they have come down to one last hope and it's Sam Darnold. Now maybe you're not a football fan, but I wonder if you can relate. I wonder if you've ever had a time in your life where you were down to one last hope. Maybe it was with a startup company and your company had one last big push and you were hoping that this was going to be the big thing. This is the last... Hope. Maybe it was financially speaking. You, you, you had to hope that X, Y, and Z happened, and this was your last hope, otherwise you're not sure what was, what's going to happen. Maybe it's medical or health-related. And so you go to a new doctor or you, you have a new medication, and this is, this is kind of your last hope. You're not sure how the, what's going to happen after this if this doesn't work. Maybe you're at a point in your life where church... Is your last hope. Maybe that's why you're here today. You're not sure where to turn next. You're not sure where to look for hope. And so you've come here today because this is your last hope. We've all been there before. And if we haven't been, we probably will be at some point down to our last hope in some area of our life. Today, we see this is where Ruth and Naomi are. They're down to their last hope. One person. Before we jump into Ruth chapter 4, let me catch you up where we've been so that you know what's going on today. Ruth chapter 1. We hear uh, it takes place around 1200-1100 BC. It takes place during the time of the Judges. So if you you know your Old Testament, you read your Old Testament, you come to a book called Judges. Uh, The word in Hebrew actually means deliverer. And that's what we see throughout the book of Judges. God keeps sending one person after the next to deliver his people. It was a time in Israel's history that was described as uh, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Uh, Physically and spiritually speaking, everyone did whatever they wanted. It was a brutal time. This is when Ruth takes place. And it's during this time that a famine comes to the area of Bethlehem, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And so a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi move from Bethlehem over to Moab, which is a country just east of Israel, uh, because they had food there. They moved with their two sons, Malon and Kilian, And while they were there for ten years, tragedy struck. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Her two sons married... Uh, Moabite women, uh, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And shortly after they got married, Naomi's two sons also died. And so over the course of ten years, what happened to Naomi? Her husband died and her two sons died. She was extremely bitter. She, in fact, she said, the Lord has afflicted me. He has turned against me. No longer call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. And that's what Mara means. And so she decides, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Orpah, Ruth, you stay here with your families. Orpah says, okay. Ruth says, no, I'm coming with you. And she does. She travels with Naomi back to Bethlehem and lives with Naomi. And this is how chapter 1 ends. Chapter 2, Ruth gets up in the morning and and she says, you know what, we need food. Uh, they, They have gone from being... Rich to now being poor and so she goes out to the fields to glean is what it's called to gather crops that harvesters left over behind and so she's getting a bunch and and whose field does she end up in? a man named Boaz and Boaz turns out to be the relative of Elimelech Naomi's dead husband and so Naomi says you know what Ruth keep gleaning keep going out and gathering crops but don't leave Boaz's field stay in that one he'll, he'll protect you he'll take care of you And that's exactly what Boaz did. Chapter 3. The harvest time is over. Naomi plays matchmaker and and sets up Boaz and Ruth. And what we saw last week was that Ruth proposes to Boaz. And Boaz says, yes, I'll marry you. But there's just one little thing he's got to take care of. And now we turn to chapter 4 to see that he takes care of what he needs to take care of. So Ruth chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as a guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Guardian redeemer. Do you remember what that is? The guardian redeemer is a family relative related by blood, and he was willing to pay the price and and purchase the land of a relative, generally a widow, and then work that land and take care of the widow until she passed away. Then he would get that land from her. During this time, you have to remember, women didn't work. And so Naomi has all of this land that Elimelech left to her, but she can't do anything with it. She can't work it. She can't hire anybody to work because she doesn't work. And so what she's going to have to do is sell this land, get the money to purchase food... The money's going to drain, and then eventually she's going to have to sell herself into slavery just so that someone takes care of her. And so the guardian redeemer can come, purchase the land, and work it, and give crops and and take care of the widow. Now when Ruth proposed to Boaz in chapter 3, she says, "Uh, Spread your garment over me, marry me, Because you are our family's guardian redeemer. So she says, marry me, take care of us, provide for us, purchase our land, uh, because you are one of our relatives who can do this. He says, yes, but there's a closer guardian redeemer. And so this is what this is all about. He's meeting this closer relative who's supposed to be the first in line to purchase this land to figure out who's going to purchase it and who's going to do it. And so he, sa- he, he sees him. He says, come on over here, my friend. Sit down. Let's, let's have a business meeting. Here's what we're told. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Okay, so Naomi didn't have to sell it to a guardian redeemer. She could have sold it to whoever she wanted. Uh, But then there would be a whole bunch more transactions. Because if she sold it to a random person, then this guardian redeemer can come and purchase the land from that person for Naomi... And, and there's just a lot of business exchanges going on. So she, Boaz is approaching this guy and saying, look, let's avoid all this. these other transactions. Do you want to just buy it outright? And if so, do it. And the guy says, well, yeah, of course. It's a great, great investment for me. Uh, because when Naomi passes away, he's going to get all that land to add to his inheritance. So he says, let's do it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So Boaz says, okay, listen, not only are you purchasing the land, but then you're also going to get Ruth the Moabite, uh, and she's going to be your wife. And he says, oh, wait a second. Now he starts counting the cost, and he says, well, this is a little too much for, for me. I'm not, I don't know if I can pay this price. Here's your first point today. Loving someone comes with a cost, right? Loving someone comes with a cost. And for this man, this guardian redeemer, he says, this cost is too high. But what is going on? <laughs> uh Why is this such a big deal that Ruth, the Moabite, comes with it? Do you just not want to marry her? But then if that's the case, how is it going to endanger his estate? This is a very confusing thing. It's very complicated, and that's why they have ten elders there of the town to witness this business meeting, because it's this complicated. But I'm going to try to explain it to you, so I hope you can follow along with me here. Uh, God had a rule for his people called the guardian-redeemer rule which is what we talked about. That's a a family relative who can purchase land, uh, has enough money to purchase the land, willing to purchase it, and then work the land and take care of the widow until she passes away. There's also another rule called the Leveret Law. If you want to write that down and write it in your Bible when you get home, the Leveret Law. And God gave this rule in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Here's what he says. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, when we get to the second half, uh, it's going to seem very weird. Maybe the first half is going to be weird. Here we go. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as a family of the unsandaled. Like I said, the second half of this is kind of maybe even a little weird to us, uh, but it meant something for them. Here's what the Leverett Law was, if we want to boil it down. If a man dies, his brother marries his, his widow, and their first son takes the dead man's name and carries on his family name in Israel and gets all of his land and all of his property so it stays within his family. That's the law. That's the Leveret law. And so what you have going on here is Boaz says, not only is the guardian redeemer rule in play, Mr. Guardian Redeemer, but the Leveret law is too because Ruth's husband is dead and she doesn't have any, he doesn't have any brothers alive. So if this guardian redeemer is going to marry Ruth, their first son is going to take on her dead husband's name and get all of his land. Complicated, right? That's why there's ten elders there to witness this. So here's the cost for this man. One, he purchases the land at a very high price. Two, he marries Ruth. Three, if they have a son, if they have a son, that son takes on dead man's name. And gets all the property, which means that his son will not have to give him any money that comes from that land. So he pays this huge price, he pays this huge price, and then might not ever see any uh, investment from it. He might not get recouped any of his losses from purchasing this land. And so he counts the cost, and he says, "Well, now I'm just throwing money at this family, and I'm not seeing any return on it. The cost is too high." I'm out. Ruth's involved. I'm out. And it's hard to blame him, isn't it? Loving people comes with a cost. And oftentimes we count the cost too, don't we? We calculate in our mind, is it worth my time to invest in this person? Is it worth me putting financial resources into this person? Is it worth me letting my guard down to trust this person? We calculate and we count the cost, and it affects whether we love that person or not. This man said the cost is too high. I'm not getting anything in return. I'm out. I'm out. And so now it's up to Boaz. Here's what happens. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become a f- final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. There must have been something with this sandal thing uh, because you see it a bunch of times. But wouldn't that be great if that's how we have transactions today? Uh, someone just takes off their shoe and gives it to somebody else and done deal. Uh, Instead, what do we have to do? We have to go to court and all these lawyers and everything. But this is what he did. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Just think of everything that Boaz is doing here. He's paying a high price for the land. He's promised to work that land and take care of Naomi and Ruth. He is taking Ruth as his wife, and if they have a son, that first son is going to take on uh, her dead husband's name, and that son will get all of the property and all of the wealth that comes from that land. He, he will never get recouped those losses. And from this book, you kind of get the picture that Boaz isn't married, right? And if he's not married, he doesn't have any other kids. And so if Ruth and Boaz don't have any more sons... Guess whose name gets blotted out of Israel? Boaz. Boaz. Exactly. And he says, I'm willing to take Ruth on. I'm willing that our firstborn carries on the dead man's name instead of my own so that his family name won't be blotted out from Israel. That is a huge sacrifice. But he counted up the cost and he said, I'm going to show love Regardless. Incredible. Incredible. Then the elders of all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore. To Judah, Essentially, the elders say, "...we are witnesses, done deal." And they say a prayer over Boaz for his family. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The, the women said to Naomi, "...praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age." For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Boaz gave this family hope, gave Ruth and Naomi hope in a time that seemed pretty hopeless, Because without Boaz, they weren't going to be taken care of. Without Boaz, their names would have been written out of Israel's history, out of Israel's family. And yet through Boaz comes what? A son. And that son takes on the dead man's name, and they are provided for. They are protected. It came at a great cost to Boaz, and yet he was willing to pay it out of love. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, way back in the Garden of Eden, uh, humanity has been taken captive by sin. You and I are sinners because Adam passed down his sin to his children and their children and their children, and and our parents have passed sin down to us, and we pass sin down to our children. It's something that's hereditary. We just keep passing it down. We've been taken captive by sin. That's why tragedies strike. That's why evil's in the world. This is why death is now in the world. It is sin that captivates us and causes us to fear and be filled with anxiety. It's sin that causes every evil in the world. It's sin that causes heartaches. It's sin that causes every single uh, sadness, every single thing that makes you angry, uh, everything that is not good and perfect is from sin. We've been taken captive by it. And it causes us to even despair. Just like Ruth and Naomi at the beginning of of Ruth, they were despairing, not sure what hope they even had. And yet, for you and me, there is always hope. Let me show you why. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Where's the hope in this, right? It's just a bunch of names and a genealogy. Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, King David over Israel. 1000 BC. Who comes from King David's line? Jesus, the Messiah. You see, even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of this dark time for Ruth and Naomi, God works. And He brings hope. Not just to them, but to the entire world. You see, Satan tried to blow up the Savior's line, tried to get rid of the Savior, and God said, not today, not today. And he worked through this tragedy to carry on the Savior's line through Ruth and Boaz. Now, did that take away the hurt from Ruth and Naomi? No, not at all. That tragedy was sitting on their heart, and it would be for the rest of their lives. But in the midst of this tragedy, they still had hope because of Boaz. And yet they just started to scratch what really was going on, right? Scratch the surface of it because it it was even more hope than they expected. The Savior was coming from this line because of the great sacrifice of Boaz. And so this is your last point today. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. As I mentioned... Sin has captivated all of us. Sin has taken captive all of us. It has kidnapped us, taken us away from Jesus. And without Jesus, we have no hope. And just like Ruth and Naomi, our name was going to be blotted out of the family of God if it wasn't for a Redeemer, someone who would pay the price to save us, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He sacrificed even more than Boaz did. Boaz paid a huge amount of money, but Jesus gave up something even more. And that's what we hear in 1 Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. What's the empty way of life? Despair. Uh, death. Controlled by Sin. Uh, This is the empty way of life with no hope for the future. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. You see, Jesus knew what the price was to redeem you. He knew what the price was to give you hope, and it wasn't gold or silver. It was His holy, precious blood. It was Himself. And He willingly laid down His life for you and me. He redeemed us from the power of sin, the control of death, and from the devil. He set us free, not to live on our own, but He says, you are now mine. Just like Ruth was now Boaz's, We are now Jesus's. But there's a difference in the relationship between being controlled by sin, death, and the devil and Jesus, right? Sin, death, and the devil, our relationship is fear. Controlled with Jesus, it is unconditional love and being provided for and being protected. We have been redeemed from sin. So what does this look like in your life? Well, if you're lonely, if... You wish you had family around? Know that your name is written in God's family. It's in in heaven, written in heaven. And you have a family of Christians across all time. You've got a family of Christians here. Your name is written in God's book. If you're scared of the future, if you're fearful, filled with anxiety, know the sacrifice that Jesus paid just to have you as his own. He paid himself. He gave up his whole life just to save you from death, the devil and sin. He's not going to just leave you on the side. Did, did Boaz take Ruth in and not care and protect and, and provide for? Her? Absolutely not. Jesus takes you into his family and he says, "I'm going to provide for you now. You are mine. If you're filled with guilt, you don't want to think of, of what you said, what you did, uh, how you didn't live up to your expectations, all the things you've left undone or did. You don't want to think about it, and yet they keep playing in your mind? Turn to Jesus. Because in Him you have hope. Why? Because He shed His blood, and when His blood was shed, He announced, you are forgiven. There is no guilt in this life. You are forgiven in God's sight. There's no guilt. If you're scared of death, if you're scared of the future because you're scared of dying, turn to Jesus, who not only died for you, but rose again, conquering death. He's got in His control our greatest fear, and that is death. He's redeemed you from it. He promises He's going to raise you back to life. No matter what life throws at you, when you are despairing, when you are are in the darkness, know that you have hope, and that's because of Jesus. There is light coming. The light of heaven is waiting for each and every one of us because our Redeemer bought us back, paid the price to have us as His own. And so may God be with you this week. No matter what life throws at you, turn to your Savior and put your hope in Him because He will not disappoint. Our faith and our hope are in God. And He is faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You for redeeming us from the power of sin, death, and the devil. We thank You that You have given us hope in this life where there's not a lot of hope, uh, but we have hope for a future, the hope of heaven, and that is always waiting for us because of You. We thank You for Your great sacrifice uh, that shows just how much You love us. Help us to never question it, but trust. Send Your Holy Spirit into our hearts that our eyes of faith may know Your love more and more. Amen.